Welcome to Married to Murder. I'm Clint. And I'm Summer. And we're a true crime podcast. Where I tell him all of my favorite true crime stories, and he's hearing it for the first time, just like you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a tale of murder. Welcome back once again, y'all. Welcome back. We hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas. And any other holidays that we may have missed. That's true. As we've, it's been a little bit hectic. We're sorry for the delay, but we're back. You know, in full swing, life and all that mess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> why do we have to have a rainy Christmas though? That was supposed to be a white Christmas. Yeah, we're actually recording this on Christmas Eve, right? And it is freaking raining. What the Not hell? It's snowing because we live in Louisiana, it- so we got rain. If it was snowing, my crazy ass would be out there playing in that shit. Yeah, we wouldn't be recording if it was snowing. Nah. We'd be out there. Because we'd be like, oh, this half an inch of snow is amazing. Right? We'd be listening to the wrecks on the road because people down here can't drive in that shit. We cannot. We can barely drive on dry roads around here. We cannot drive in snow, hail, anything. And yes, we know y'all northerners that are used to dealing with it. We understand. It's normal for y'all. It's not normal for us. We are not equipped to handle that stuff. We do not put winter tires on our cars every year. We do not have snow chains for our vehicles. I've never seen snow chains. Like in person. (laughs) If you ask about any tire shop around here about studded tires for winter, they're going to look at you like you got three heads. So We just not the peoples. We know y'all. We have our different shit that we deal with, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, y'all Northerners, y'all come down here. Y'all ain't gonna be able to handle a hurricane the way we do down here. I mean, we could just give them alcohol and they'd be okay. And king cake, <laughs> right? It is almost king cake season. See, we have Christmas season, and then right after we have king cake season. So we're about to go into king cake season. So king cake slash crawfish season for those that I don't partake. Eat of. crawfish, so I like I, the king cake. I know, but we got to make sure to include all inclusive. Hey, Louisiana is a decidedly Louis. Yeah, crawfish is a Louisiana. Shut up, squirrels. Behave. Roads are hard, sir. Crawfish is a decidedly Louisiana thing. I know other states try to do it. We actually do it right. Says a man who doesn't eat them. But we do do them right. Crawfish and booty, and that's two things Louisiana claims to fame, and nobody can replicate. And I don't need either one of them. You ready for our case? Because it is a Louisiana case. Oh, he's staying in the boot? We is. Let's get this Kushan delay on the roll then. Oh my God. Now you're going wild. Hey, Kushan delay is a real thing. I'm aware. We've been to one. I live here too. (laughs) We've been to one. (laughs) Went to one for the 4th of July one year at a buddy of my dad's camps. On the river, Summer was not happy about this, because we had... You can only get there by We had to park at the levee and wait for them to come pick us up in a boat and ride about a little over a mile down the river, or down the bayou, as it was, on the boat. Y'all, Summer can't swim. Summer don't like small boats. Bigger boats she's somewhat okay with. Smaller boats, not so much. They flip over. <coughs> you die. Every boat can flip over. That's why Summer has never been on a cruise. <laughs> Although the bigger the boat, the less likely it is to flip over. I've been on a riverboat cruise. I've been on like that thing we went to in Florida. I don't know what you would call that. Pontoon boat yeah. or party barge, depending on yeah. how it's configured. Those make me feel safer. It's because they're slow. I like slow. Okay, we were in a bass boat. Not terribly fast, not terribly slow, but anybody who's familiar with bass boats know they, they're fairly stable, usually. And the water is gross. It's not like it's clear and pretty, and you can see down if you fall in it. Okay. And we do have alligators down. We legit have them, so you have to be careful. 
I'm, Plus snakes. I'm not a. I'm not doing that either. It's not happening. I'd rather meet an alligator than a snake. That's how bad I am. I've met both in the water before. <laughs> no, thank you. All right, we need to get From on our distance. Let's get on to our story. Okay, let's get on with it. We're going to talk about Tahara Kasimi. You said it's a Louisiana case. That is not a Louisiana name. We're going to talk about where she's from, and then we're going to get to Louisiana. Oh, Lord. And our actual event is going to take place in like 2015. But we're going to go back. To Hera Kasimi. Relatively recent, then. Yes, very. (coughs) I'm surprised you haven't heard this on the news. I'm sure I probably did, but... You don't pay attention to this part. Well, my brain does not retain information that I do not find interesting or useful. Well, you better find this interesting and useful. I will for the duration of the recording and editing process, but it will soon be shuffled out for more useful information. He's no fun, true crime fans. The squirrels have a very fucked up filing system, I assure you. All right. <laughs> Tahara Gazebi was born June 22nd, 1960, in Bayam, Iran, to her mother, Norset. Now, Bayam is located in southeastern part of the country and has a population of over 127,000. The city dates back to 248 B.C. Old shit. Yes. It is famous for its beautiful textiles and clothes, and they are also known for something you would never eat, the Bam Mazafati date and other citrus fruits. Okay. I I don't know if I've ever actually eaten a date. I'm going to tell the truth. I don't think I have. I'm not saying I wouldn't. I just don't think I have. I've gone on a date. That's why I was wanted to be clear that it is not that kind of date. They're not I, famous for those kind of dates. I know. <laughs> I know what a date is. In all variations of the word. But you wouldn't taste it. No. I know. Okay, so in 2003, the city was struck by an earthquake measuring 6.6. Quite pleased we do not have earthquakes in Louisiana. Only earthquakes we get in Louisiana are when LSU gets a really big win, and we actually stop the retro scale at LSU. Yeah, but nothing like this. Over 26,000 people died. That's not cool. Now, Tahara has two brothers and two sisters, and she married very young. She married a man named Hamid. Now, soon after she got married, she had their son, Hamed. So, Hamid is the dad. Hamed is the son. And I will probably clarify that multiple times because they're continuously in the story. So, And their names are so close, I want to make sure you... Mead and Med. Yeah. Um, soon after they married, Hamid moved to the United States. And the ultimate plan was, because she really, really wanted to go to the United States, that was that he was going to come over here, become a citizen, bring her over, and bring their son over. And that was the plan. That did not happen. Okay. Ami did not bring her over at all. He brought his son over when he was 18 years old. So, for 18 years, they've been married, over 18 years, and she's been in one country and he's been in another on totally different continents, and she's been raising their son by herself with her family. Not cool. No. You know, and they were communicating, like, they would talk on the phone and stuff, but, I mean, obviously, it's hard to have a real marriage when you're on two different continents. So, he finally brings his son when he's 18. And then later, their son, Ahmed, brings his mother back to the United States. So, she moved to Baton Rouge in 2005. There are so many better places that she could have picked. Well, that's where her husband was. Okay. So, she moved here. 
and she became a U.S. citizen in 2010. Okay. Now, she loved to garden. She also loved cooking and baking, and she actually dreamed of opening her own bakery. Nice. Now, her family says she was very adventurous and loved mountain climbing, which she did not do in Louisiana. She did that back in her home country. Yeah, you, you're not going to go mountain climbing here. Yeah, and she was actually, like, the president of her cl- women's climbing club in Iran. Well, ain't she fancy? Yeah. So here, she works at Walmart in Denham Springs. We have been to this Walmart. Multiple times. And she started working there in uh, 2010, and she worked there until she went missing. She was smart. She was very hardworking, and she worked her way up to manager. Now we're going to fast forward. That's our little backstory. So we're in 2015, and at this time, Tahara is 54 years old. And she is living with her adult son. Ahmed is now 38. And they actually live in a nice subdivision, Baton Rouge, on North Laurel Creek Court, which is just off Corsi by Stumberg. I'm just telling Clint because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. No, y'all don't know. but I do know exactly where that is. Um, don't know the exact location within the subdivision, but I know the subdivision. Driven past it many times and... Thankfully, I do not have to go into that area of town very often anymore nowadays. Yeah, they're not very far off of uh, Corsi. And not very far from your work either. No, not at all. Right about five minutes? Mm, Maybe eight. Five to eight, depending on traffic, yeah. Obviously, (laughs) when she finally comes over, she does, you know, as far as she's concerned, they're married. So she does try and... Work on this marriage, but it had just been too long. And ultimately, this marriage did not survive their reconciliation. And they had recently divorced. Sad so that's why noises. she was living alone with her son. Sad panda noises. Now, Saturday, April 11th, she was home and she was cooking dinner. She was making kebabs. And Hamed was at work and he was supposed to come home for dinner. He did not. He decided to go out afterwards. Now, there was a lot of strain because, you know, his mother had some cultural expectations, but he is a grown man. He's in his 30s living with his mother, but that's kind of culturally expected. But she wanted him to have, you know, to meet a nice girl from their same culture, and he wanted to go out and do stuff. And so there was some tension between them. And you can see text messages between them where he was like, I'm going to move out. And he kind of cusses her out that night. And in text messages, not in person. Because she's like, I'm making dinner and you need to come home. And he's like, it's, you know, it's the weekend. I'm going out. Which is entirely reasonable. Not that the Baton Rouge area has that great or big of a nightlife scene. But there are a few pretty good bars in the area. He went to Spanky's a lot. I'm familiar with Spanky's. Yeah. So it's a daiquiri Spanky's place. Spanky's even still around? I think so. It's been so long. I don't know. We don't go out that much. But, I'm so wild. But he ended up not coming immediately home after work. When he finally does come home, he finds the rice that she was making burning on low on the stove. And his mom's not there. So he calls her phone, but she doesn't answer, and her car is gone. So he just assumes that she must have left and just didn't realize that she had left the stove on. Which, let's be honest, he was kind of like, I'm glad I don't have to deal with a pissed off mother. Mm, yeah. Um, and nothing looked out of place except his comforter on, from his bed was missing. But his mom had mentioned that she was going to buy him a new one. So he was like, well, maybe she just pulled this one off and she's gone out shopping or something. So he didn't really think anything about it. And like I said, her car, which was a 2004 Blue Jaguar, was gone as well. Oh, she could have made a better choice on that. Jags are not known to be the most reliable. I'm sorry. That's what she had. Um, And like I said, he assumed that either she went out shopping or whatever to one of her friend's house. And she was known to, like, go spend the night at her friend's house. They would have, like, even though they, you know, she's in her 50s, her and her friends would have, like, sleepovers. 
So that was not out of the norm for them. Oh, ain't that cute? I think it's great. The next morning, Hamid noticed that his mother was still not there. But her purse was. He didn't realize, like, the night before, yeah, like, her purse is still here, though. Because he thought she was just gone. He didn't look for it. So, that makes him a little bit more concerned. Like, okay, if she left, why didn't she bring her purse? And I haven't heard from her, and she hasn't called me. So, like I said, he tried calling her again. Still didn't get an answer. So, he calls her work. And he speaks to somebody at her work, and they're like, oh, yeah, she's here working. He's like, okay, no big deal. Everything's fine. Why would she be at work without her purse? He's just going off of what they said. So that Sunday, the next day, she still hasn't come home. He hasn't seen her at the house. So on Monday morning, he calls her job again. Because he's like, she's not answering her phone. Let me try work again. Let me see if she's there. And this time, he talks to a different person who is actually a manager. And they're like, no, she's not here. And whoever told you she was here on Sunday, no, she wasn't. Right, right. So she was never there. So then he kind of flips out. He's like, wait, I thought she was at work, but actually nobody has seen her. Fishy things. So then he turns around and calls the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Department. Three eight nine five thousand. if I'm not mistaken. Just in case you want to call the inspector. I think that's what it is, honestly. (laughs) That was. (laughs) I've heard it so many times on the news and stuff. It's like burned into my brain. I know a bunch of hospital phone numbers. That's a problem, too. I'm not going to just spread them out. And like 1 800 551 6900 for Diesel Driving Academy. Oh, my God. He has a thing for numbers, y'all. Forgive him. Can't what? remember facts, and he can't spell worth a shit, but he, <laughs> he knows numbers. I, I done told you. The squirrels have a very fucked up filing system, damn it. All right. So, Detective Todd Morris is the detective on her case, and the police put out a bolo on her car, and they almost immediately find her car. Well, they're... Aren't a whole lot of Jags in the Baton Rouge area that I'm aware of. Well, there aren't a whole lot of Jags that have been set on fire in the Baton Rouge area. Oh, I mean, they kind of do that to themselves sometimes. That night. (laughs) So, actually, the car had been found Sunday night near Shalma Avenue and Choctaw Drive, which is actually like an industrial part of Baton Rouge. And like I said, it had been set on fire. But there was no, she was not in the car. She was not in the car. She was not in the car. They found the car, but they didn't find her. This was a vehicle disposal then. Correct. So once they realized her car, you know, obviously this is not somebody who's just out with their friends and we can't find her. This is an actual case. They're going to take it seriously. And they're 100% looking for her. So they start interviewing her friends, her family, her co-workers at Walmart. And initially, they have some very strong suspicions about her son because they do pull phone records and they do see those texts where the relationship is strained because she's kind of strict and has these expectations and he's wanting to do his own thing and he's feeling very smothered. I kind of feel like a portion of that was probably cultural as well. Very much so. And, I mean, he's been here since he was 18. So, he had been here almost 20 years at this point. So, he's just wanting to do his own thing, like most people do. But she didn't like who he was dating. She didn't like that he went out to bars and daiquiri shops. Um, God, Mom, can't you just let me live my life? So, you can see why they were a little bit suspicious. So, initially, he tells police that, you know, when he came home... After he found out that his mom's car wasn't there, he went to bed. So that's what he had told them initially. They later find out that is not true. He had lied. He had actually gone back out. Once he saw his mom wasn't there, he went back out and partied. And they were like, well, why did you lie to us? And he's like, well, I don't want my mom mad at me. So that tells you a little <laughs> bit about their dynamic of the relationship, that he's willing to lie to the police because rather than have his mom find out that he was like, heck yeah, my mom left so I can go back out and party. Remember, he's in his late 30s. 
<laughs> now, during their investigation, they searched for camera footage around the home. Now, which was not as a much of a prevalent thing then as it is now. No, but they actually did find some. Really? Yes. Because there is a row of businesses back up to her subdivision. Because she lives in the very front of the subdivision. So there's not a house behind her house. There's a business behind her house. Okay, I think I know right where you're at then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's in the very front. She's almost behind um, the Mexican restaurant that's right there. Okay, were they by the post office and all that mess? Mm -hmm. Okay, Yeah. yeah. So, the camera showed a 2002 Z71 Tahoe in the parking lot the night she went missing. Ooh, a Z truck? Yeah. <coughs> the police released the imagery of this Tahoe asking the public for help and identifying it. Because Uh-oh. it seemed suspicious, because there was no reason. It wasn't like a type of business that would have somebody there, you know, late at night. And they hit pay dirt. A local car dealership recognized it as a car that they had taken in trade because it had some distinctive features. It had modifications that made it stand out from other Z71, so they recognized it. And those salesmen immediately called the police and told them, hey, you know, this had been part of our inventory. We believe this is the same car. That dealership that had taken this Tahoe in trade was import one, which was a car lot in Baton Rouge. Actually had a location in Lafayette as well. Did they really? I believe so, yeah. I didn't know that. So, and it was owned <laughs> by 64-year-old Hamid Kasimi. So, fun her fact. Her ex-husband. Fun fact. The location of the Baton Rouge store was less than a half a mile from my office. And I actually went there on several occasions and worked on their copier that they had with us. Did you know there was people there that was doing stuff? I did not, but I knew they were mostly foreign individuals. And they have long since closed, of course, but, you know. Well, the fact that this dealership, you know, these salesmen are calling in and saying, hey, we had this car. The car was seen behind her house. She's missing. The car was technically owned by her ex-husband. So it hadn't been purchased by an individual as of yet. No. So that's why if you're going Detective to, Morris was like, hmm, maybe we should investigate this a little further. If you're going to commit a crime and you own a car dealer or a car lot, do not use a modified or highly recognizable vehicle. Use the most plain, Jane, nondescript, boring vehicle you have. Or don't get caught on camera. Well, that's much easier said than done nowadays because cameras are freaking everywhere. <laughs> or just don't kill people. That would always be the better route to go to. Well, yeah. Now they investigate Hamid and they find a little bit more about this ex-husband. He had come to Baton Rouge in the 1980s, and he initially opened a pizza place called Rainbow Pizza. I do not remember this pizza place. Do you remember? I'm I, older than you, and I still don't remember it. Do I you do remember? not remember it. Uh, what location? What area of town was it in? I don't know. Okay. I had never heard of it, so I'm assuming it didn't stay open very, very long. He actually started selling cars, like, in the parking lot of the pizza place. And that is how he ended up transitioning to a car salesman. And eventually he closed the pizza place and opened up his own dealership selling luxury imported cars. And that is what Import One did. They sold like Lexus and various other things. I do remember in the late 90s going to look at a car at Import One with, I think it was Trey, actually. His friend Trey. Yeah. And we went to look at a highly modified and customized Honda Prelude that they had on the lot out by the road. You may have talked to one of these salesmen that affected this case. That's entirely possible. <clears throat> but they always seem to have 
one or two at least kind of high-end, nicer vehicles. Yeah. I mean, they were uh, apparently were doing pretty well. They were, they were kind of known as the luxury used dealer in the area. The police went to the dealership to try and locate that Tahoe. And Hamid was very, very helpful. His record showed that the car wasn't on the lot and it had actually been sold at an auction. How convenient. Mm-hmm. So he learned that after arriving in the United States, Hamid had actually, despite his marriage to Tahara, he had married a United States woman. Oh, uh, he got that citizenship that way. No one in Iran knew about this marriage. Like, he is living basically to a double life. She thinks, you know, she's in Iran thinking, raising their child, thinking he's working diligently to bring me to the United States so we can be together and be a family. And what he's actually done is started a relationship with another woman and gotten married. And she had no idea. So he sounds lovely. Yeah, slightly. He actually ends up divorcing that woman. Then he begins another relationship with a woman that was a co-worker. Her name was Heather. She moved in with him. He still continues this lie. They would call him from Iran, and... He would tell them that Heather was his maid. Like if they, if she answered the phone or they heard her voice, mm-hmm. he'd be like, "Oh, the maid's just here," and she knew. Like Heather knew, hmm. and she was fine with it, I guess, which is odd. But they ended up not getting married. They ended up breaking up. He did end up marrying another woman later on, though. Okay. So. When he finally brings his son to the United States, he puts him to work at the car dealership. Their relationship, because, I mean, yes, he's biologically your father, but you've never been around him. Yeah. So you're actually, you know, not to mention you're a teenager, you're 18, and you've got this dad who has never been in your life, really, and now you're working for him. So they had an awful working relationship and an awful father-son relationship. I want to say I've talked to one of them on one of the occasions I was at that dealership. We may have. Well, she. I mean, I've been I've been doing copy repair for seventeen years now. <laughs> which means, yeah, I'd have been I'd have been working on their machine off and on before all this went down. Yep. So it's entirely possible that I have met these individuals. So they wouldn't have stood out because it would just been like a regular day. You had no idea this was coming. So they did not, like I said, did not have a good relationship. They argued frequently, and he would actually be physically violent in front of others at the dealership and eventually ends up firing him. That's not good. So he can, but Hamed stayed in the U.S., like I said, because mainly just because his mother wanted to come here. That was her dream. Yeah. So, and like I said, when Tahari finally arrives in the U.S., thanks to her son, not her husband, this is when she finds out that he is on his second marriage, or third, depending on how you want to count it. Second marriage to a United States woman, third marriage total. Basically and, when all the shit comes to light. Right, and then she learns she's been lied to for decades. This is decades. You think he's been here since the 80s, and she doesn't come here until 2005. I would venture to guess he is. He went back and visited Israel a time or two in that time. Frame. Um, I think that's possible. They definitely, like I said, they definitely communicated. Um, but he always had like an excuse for you know why he couldn't bring her over because he was having his cake and eating it too. Exactly. I don't know why he would just not say, "I don't want to be with you." You know, go live your life, go find you a man who, you know, so that she could go find somebody instead of, because she was being faithful and loyal and not, she wasn't out marrying other people. She wasn't doing that. I mean, she wasn't just staying at home, you know. I mean, she did her, her rock climbing and her baking and all her, you know, that cooking and everything, but she didn't go find 
another boyfriend or husband because she thought she had one. And he just left her hanging, which is mean. Slightly. So once she gets here and she finally, you know, realizes what the hell's going on, she asks him for a divorce. Rightly so. And technically, I'm like, are those other marriages even legal? Uh, I don't know. Well, she gets a lawyer, and her and her lawyer request alimony of $1,500 a month, a car, and a home. Which her son was like, she didn't ask for anything. She's like, that's nothing for in my dad's, like, you know, realm. Like, that was easy. $1,500 a month is nothing to him from what he's making off of these dealerships. I'm willing to bet he probably just pulled a car off the lot or told her, come pick whichever car you wanted. Oh, no, sir. He didn't want to give her a dime. A car, a home, or anything. Oh, uh, so the courts ordered him to? They went to court, and this divorce took over eight years to finalize. Good Lord. Because it actually went to the Louisiana Supreme Court. Really? Because. I mean, says, our marriage isn't legal. Because. She's actually my first cousin, and that's not legal in Louisiana. It's apparently very, very common in their country. And okay, not wait, a big wait, deal. Wait, 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 wait. Just because you are a citizen or a resident of Louisiana at this point, when you originally got married, you were not. You were not even a U.S. citizen at that point. Correct. Therefore, you were bound by Israeli laws. Not Israel. Or Iran. Iran. Iranian laws. I'm sorry. They both start with I. You get I or Idaho <laughs> mixed up. So you might as well get two countries. So they start with I mixed up. <laughs> so, yeah. That may have been perfectly fine over there. And no, it is not perfectly fine over here. But where your initial marriage was officiated... And made legal at, it was perfectly fine. Therefore, the United States is going to recognize that as, okay, that is a legitimate marriage. So, no, your argument is invalid. All right. Aren't you glad that you <laughs> and Louisiana Supreme Court agree? Because that's exactly what they said. Well, they I'm said sorry yes. my brain actually fucking functions. Right. Well, I mean, he was trying everything, but yeah. So, no, they weren't doing anything weird in their country. Apparently, that's perfectly normal. Happens all the time. You know, no big deal for over there. Must keep the bloodlines pure. I mean, I don't know. but And yes, it's not okay in Louisiana as far as legalities. So I want to say it's like... Third cousins? Third maybe? or fourth, yeah. Then it becomes legal. Yeah, you because know, you, you then technically have enough genetic separation there where it's not... Shouldn't cause issues, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. But... So, yes, the Louisiana Supreme Court was like, uh, no, sir, your country where you were married recognizes this as a legal marriage, and therefore we will honor that. And we're going, which is a good thing. You should honor that country's legal marriage. I mean, we may not necessarily would, agree with it, but we will honor it. Yes, and you should. So, absolutely. So, like I said, it, it took eight years for this to get litigated all the way up to Supreme Court. I don't know why the first court would. I guess he, like, fought against it when the first court was Probably. like, no. So, but then at that point, he had no choice. <laughs> and be careful what you wish for. Because you could have just given her $1,500 in a car and gone about your day. Oh, did chick go up? The judge was like, mm, you've put her through a lot. <laughs> she waited decades for your ass. You have this much in assets. And you have way more money. Than $1,500 a month. So you're actually going to give her a million dollars in cash. Not bad. Yes. And ownership of two properties. Not bad. And he also owed her an additional $115,000. So. She made out pretty decent then. Take that. She wasn't greedy and you fucked up. I like the judge. She made it. He, she made out pretty decent. Yeah. 
Well, if he didn't want to give her $1,500 a month, do you think he was suddenly happy to pay her a million bucks in cash? If I remember correctly, just from people that interacted with him more than I ever did, he wasn't that nice of a guy. Nothing that I have read says that he's a nice guy. Nothing. Yeah, from what I understand, he was very cutthroat, very... Very ruthless in the business world. Yeah. And I would imagine stingy. Uh, I mean, rich people don't get rich by being generous. Okay, but you don't get to go around and not give your wife stuff just because you're stingy. Finding out about this very highly litigated divorce and very angry ex-husband and this Tahoe that came from the, you know, same dealership, they're like, okay. We are very, very suspicious of you, sir. We've got some puzzle pieces falling into place. So they start pulling his phone records, and they find out that he had a call that was placed a little after midnight on the night, that Saturday night. So technically it was Sunday morning because it was after midnight, but it was that Saturday night that she went missing. And it lasted 17 seconds. And they were able to pull that it came from a 20-year-old named Tyler Ashbaugh. Okay. And that was the only call between the two of them ever. They could find no link, and they were like, why is this 20-year-old calling this 60-something-year-old man on a Saturday night after midnight the same day that his ex-wife goes missing? They're like, this is sus. Very. So... They end up pulling Tyler's cell phone records as well, so they can see what's going on on his side. Well, his records show that he was actually at Tahara's home. Tyler's? Yes. And they, so they follow his Google Map records, and because he apparently left his phone on because he's 20 years old, and he doesn't know how to criminal. You got to criminal correctly if you don't want to get caught. He did not criminal correctly. Obviously. So they follow him and they show that that night he had actually driven from her home up to bat, out of Baton Rouge, up Highway 16 into St. Helena Parish to just north of Pine Grave, Louisiana. And they found a remote wooded area and that's where his phone records left in. So. They go out there, and the police search the area. And that's a significant little drive away, if I'm not mistaken. About an hour. Is that's that certainly is not a bad place if you wouldn't have fucking. Yeah, he wouldn't have had any connection to it if he hadn't have brought his damn phone. Exactly. Or if you're gonna do shit like this, get a fucking burner phone. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad he got caught, but, you know, not the smartest particles ever used. Prepaid phones exist for a reason. They're getting better and better at talking about stuff like that, too. So they're searching the area, and they find, like, these little pieces of, like, cotton on the ground. Like, little small, like, kind of like what you would get, like, out of a pillow or something. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, shit. So they start searching, and they kind of follow the cotton that's scattered about, and they notice a depression in the earth. I'm guessing said cotton was uh, the downstuffing of a comforter? Correct. They unfortunately found the shallow grave of Tahara Gassimi, and she had been wrapped in the comforter from her son's bed, and she had been shot twice in the head. Now, where did the shooting happen is the question. More on that later. Now, I've, I've got a few questions here. Okay. Do you want a question now, or do you want to wait till we interview Tyler? So, we, at this point, we know he took the Z-71 to go to the location. Did he? We know somebody did. Ah, I think I might know what happened. Mr. Used Car Douche. <laughs> Dropped off 
little mini future douche. <laughs> nope. But my story was going to be good. Mine's going to be better. <laughs> oh, pfft, Mine's you. right. <laughs> All right. So police go pick up Tyler. Okay. And they bring him in. And he's like, I didn't do anything. I don't even know who this person is. I've never been where you found that body. I know nothing. Your phone says otherwise, boy. And they basically are like, we had this evidence and this evidence. And he's like, well, shit. And he confesses to everything. So he flipped quick then. Very quick. Very quick. So he has a story he's going to tell them. Gather around, kids. It's story time. Pretty much. So Tyler tells Detective Morris that his friend, 17-year-old Skylar Williams, had asked him if he wanted to make some money. How much money would it take for you to shoot somebody that you don't know? Uh, it depends on why they're getting shot. Because their ex-husband is a douche. More than he can afford. If it's somebody that needs killing, <laughs> yeah, the price definitely comes down a little bit. We would never kill anybody, and we do not advocate murder. <clears throat> Only under but special circumstances. $10,000 is more than it would... If I was willing to kill somebody, it would definitely take more than $10,000. Yeah, slightly more. But not for these people. These two guys, 20-year-old and 17-year-old. These two kids, get it right. Yes. Because that's basically what they are still. Yes. If, he wasn't, if he was 19, I could say teenagers. But because he's 20, I got to say men. They go to Home Depot. Home Depot has great surveillance. If you're wanting to buy your murder kit, do not go to Home Depot or Walmart. They have great, or Target for that matter. They have great surveillance. In other words, don't steal from either of them, any of them either. Mm-hmm. That goes for any big store, because generally the big stores got some pretty damn good surveillance. Mm-hmm. And they're just mean enough to let you get out the damn front door to make sure you actually get them theft charges, too. But Home Depot has really, really, like, you can see really well in Home Depot surveillance. And they bought rope and a box cutter. Do not buy both items at the same location. Multiple locations, different dates, different times. And we go to quit telling people how to kill people. Small mom and pop places. Okay, well, then they, after shopping, meet up with Daniel Richter. Who is Daniel Richter? Daniel Richter is the one that first contacted Skyler about this way to make cash. So you have three guys involved now. Daniel has a record for sexual assault, just FYI. We don't like Daniel. After going to Home Depot, this little trio drove to St. Helena Parish to pre-dig this grave. They already knew where they were going. I guess they already ha- had a shovel in. Yes. So... Daniel then drives Tyler and Skyler, gotta love it, Tyler Skyler, to her house in the Tahoe that night. It just so happened, she has the rice on the stove, it's cooking, she wants to go get something from her car, so she goes out to, like, the garage, to her car, and that is when they pull up. So. Impeccable timing. Right. So, Tyler and Skyler, they grab her and force her back into the house at gunpoint with a twenty-two caliber pistol. Now, they inject her, this is the weird part, with insulin that they had brought with them in a syringe, which does cause her to become incapacitated, but she doesn't die from it. So they put her in the comforter and place her back in her own Jaguar. Okay, I mean, the insulin, that's actually kind of a somewhat smart move on their part. I mean, if you were going to do something like that, that would be a smart move. They drove her up to St. Helena Parish. They opened up the trunk and they realized she's still alive. The insulin did not kill her. And that's when Tyler 
It's very rare. Tyler's the one giving the confession. He doesn't say I was just there. He admits he is the one that shot her in the head twice. I mean, given the fact that he is singing like a canary, that's going to look good in the prosecutor's and the judge's eyes. Yeah, he'd probably get a deal. So he'll he'll get a deal and probably a little bit lighter sentencing and whatnot. So they bury her body, like in the shallow grave. Then they leave, and then this little trio of geniuses drives to Don Carter's bowling alley. Which is basically next door to Import One. To meet up with their benefactor. Which, because Tyler and Skyler don't know who it is yet. Only Daniel knows. So Daniel was the middleman that set this up. Correct. Who so, happened to know other miscreants that might be willing to do this dastardly deed. Correct. So, but when they get there, he's not there to meet them. So Daniel, who is the one who knows who they're dealing with, he uses Tyler's phone to call the benefactor. Again, burners, people. Come on now. And this man instructed them to drive to his home to get paid. That was a 17-second call made shortly after midnight on Tyler's phone to Hamid. Why would you tell them to come to your home? Because he's an idiot. Meet at a neutral location, you dumb fucks. So, they go there, and he does pay them the $10,000, and he gave them a gas can and then told them to go burn the Jaguar, which they did, and that's how they found the car. Okay. So, when they start checking out his story, and they're looking into who everybody is, they find out that 33-year-old Daniel Richter was actually a mechanic that had previously worked at Import One. So, he was the one who had taken the Tahoe from the dealership. Okay, makes sense. I mean, access means... Okay. So, Daniel, Tyler, Skyler, and Hamid were all arrested. Yay! Hamid was charged with principal to first-degree murder, principal to second-degree kidnapping, solicitation for murder, and principal to arson. The other three were charged with first-degree murder and second-degree kidnapping and arson. And Hamid was... This all happened so quick. Okay, they solved this case in basically nine hours. Really? That quick? Yes. So by the time (laughs) they called or went to Hamid and said... We found your mother's body. They, at the same time, they're telling him, we found your mother's body and we've arrested your dad. So that's how quick it happened. Like, they were that bad at this. (laughs) (laughs) Or else our police is just that good. But I think it might be a combination. No, 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 no. (laughs) I don't think in the history of ever, anybody has ever said the Baton Rouge police was that good. Now we gotta talk good about them. this. Is East Baton Rouge Sheriff's Department, not the Baton Rouge? I mean, the Sheriff's Department is better than the city, I will give you that. But I don't think anybody's ever sang their praises like well, that. Well, I have nothing negative to say about them in this case, they did a good job. Okay, excellent work. Tahara had wished to be buried in Iran. Fun fact. This is for our listeners, not necessarily you. I was actually at the Crawley, Louisiana police station Thursday. Crowley. Crowley. I say Crowley. And I scared someone because you thought I got picked up on some stuff. Well, he said they got me. What was I supposed to think? (laughs) What would you think if if your husband texts you and says they got me at the police department? Like, um, be like, what are you doing? What did you do? How mad do I need to be at you? <laughs> All right. Back to my story. I'm sorry. Squirrel okay. factor. Did you hear where she wanted to be buried? No, I did not. Iran. And her son Reasonable. was going to follow her wishes. Unfortunately, El Douchebag Dad still has connections in Iran. Oh, no. So, he goes back to bury his mother. And after the funeral, he was arrested for conspiracy against the Iranian government. What the fuck? 
He was accused of trying to convert Muslims to Christianity. He was literally there just to bury his mother, nothing to do with any religion of any kind. And he was probably coming back to the States after. Yes. They put him in solitary for 30 days. That's rough. And our representatives over here tried to reach out, and he was eventually granted bail, and he immediately left the country and did not wait around to be processed with additional. So I don't think he's going to be going back. Yeah, I'm willing to bet he has not been back since. Now, his father does deny having anything to do with that random arrest that just happened to happen. Well, naturally. But his son absolutely believes that his dad is the reason that it happened. All right, so back to our court case. (laughs) Prosecutor Dana Cummings made a deal in 2018 with Tyler to testify against his co-conspirators that would allow him to plead to just manslaughter and have his sentence go 20 to 40 years. Unfortunately, this case is taking forever, by the way. Uh, I to can actually see go this. To, to actually go to trial. In January of 2023, Tyler died from an overdose in Angola prison. Wait. So this shit's still technically ongoing? No, we have a result. Okay, so it was still ongoing at the beginning of this year? At the beginning of this year, this was still ongoing. For something that happened in 2015? 15. 15? Yes. Gotta love COVID. Uh, gotta love slow-ass judicial systems. Uh, good Lord. Yeah. So, he had not testified yet before he died. So then the DA turned around and made a deal with Richter for him to testify against Hamid. Because, of course, that's who they really want. Because without him, this doesn't happen. Skylar Williams and Daniel Richter both each pled guilty to manslaughter and were sentenced to 30 years. Okay, I'm guessing with credit for time served at that point. Well, yeah. And this trial just happened in August of 2023 for Hamid. So literally just a couple months ago. Yes, it's been on the news. I just, you just haven't been paying any attention, obviously. No, I generally kind of just... It's on in the background, but I'm generally more listening to traffic and weather. Yeah, they've shown his picture, like, lots of times and when you have it on and I'm in the room. Yeah, I'm seeing pictures that I'm recognizing that, yeah, I remember seeing on the news and whatnot. You just don't care about crime like I do. Well, you also, you know, first chance you get, you turn the damn volume off. I don't like the news. It's depressing. See? It's depressing. I'm not. I tune out the depressing. I listen to the information I need. Which is weather and traffic, and I can find that on my phone. <clears throat> and it is much easier to do that while I'm getting dressed when it's playing on the TV. All right. Well, the prosecution presented a very good case with several witnesses, including Daniel Richter and Hamed. He did testify against his dad. Good. Richter stated that Hamid, the Mm ex-husband, had actually provided them with the gun and the syringe filled with insulin. He's the one that came up with the insulin idea. So they weren't smart. He came up with that. I can believe that. He also testified, here's a kicker, that Hamid had actually wanted them to kill Sahara and Ahmed. So he wanted his wife and his son dead. And it just so happened, the fact that he was being a little, I'm going to go out and do what I want to do, saved his life. Rock on, man. One of the few times we're going out and partying save somebody. Right? They, that's why there was three of them. And he was actually supposed to be home. And so... They probably, they had previously beaten up Ahmed one night, and his dad had paid for that. Really? Yes. They got him one day after Spanky's, coming out of Spanky's daiquiris, and he had been 
like beat up, but they never knew who did it <clears throat> until after they found this out that, yeah, this is your dad paid us to do this. So his dad's an awful person. So it would seem. No, so he felt like, Hamid felt like if he killed her and him, that money that she was supposed to get would come back to him. Because he didn't want his son to have it either. No, that's not really how it works. Yeah, he's an idiot. One of the salesmen at the dealership named Zeke, he testified that $13,000 had gone missing from the dealership just before her murder, and that the usually cranky Amid wasn't concerned about the, murder, the money at all. He was like, oh, we'll find it. No big deal. It's, just, it's somewhere. So they 100% believe that that's where that $10,000 came from. Yeah, that wasn't fishy at all, was it? Yeah. Because you can tell this guy's, like, not exactly, like, easy go, easy come, like, whatever with his money. You know he, would like, normally would have been, like, super pissed. I know the few times I can recall seeing him at the dealership, he never really had a happy look on his face, if I can recall correctly. Well, he's got to be a miserable person to go around lying and faking stuff to people. Oh, me. His defense attorney, Bob Neal, called zero witnesses, but they did try and blame Ahmed as an alternate story. So not only was he going to kill his own son, they then tried to throw him under the bus in his own murder trial. Well, yeah. Saying that he killed his mom. Well, yeah. Because he's obviously a fabulous father. After two hours, the jury found Hamid Kasimi guilty. And the 72-year-old was sentenced to life in prison. Wouldn't you have loved to have been on that jury? Oh, I'd have, it would have been bad. they would have been like, <laughs> you are not fair, ma'am. And I'd have been like, he did it. <laughs> and life is not good enough. And I'm going to talk about this on my true crime podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure once you say you have a true crime podcast, they kick you off a jury now. I don't think you're allowed to be on a jury anymore. It sucks. Oh, hell, that's an easy out for me then. I'm pretty sure once you say trick on podcast, they're like, nope, bye. <laughs> and I mean, we legit have one. We're not lying. They can always verify it if they need to. <laughs> no. Worst grade. I'll never get on a jury. I'll have to lie and be like, what's your crime podcast? That's not me. That's my twin. You got a twin? You I'm going to meet her. <laughs> She's a bitch. You don't want to meet her. Oh, so she's just like you then. Exactly. <laughs> Um, this was on a re- recent Dateline called The Ultimate Betrayal. I was so sad to learn that my Dateline <laughs> people had been here and I had not seen them. That's sad, sad. And then, obviously, from a lot of articles and TV stuff. You that I saw from, like, most of them at CrimeCon. That was years ago, sir. So? I need to see them again at CrimeCon in Nashville. We're trying to make that happen. Oh, no. Winnie's a bitch. She doesn't like to give me money. Winnie's our bank, by the way. No, I was like, about to say that. To clarify, Winnie's not a person. That's just what they are. We call her a bank. But the bank is legitimately Whitney. Well, it's Hancock Whitney. It used to just be Whitney, but now it's Hancock Whitney. Same thing. Same difference, sir. Did you like my local story, sir? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually have interacted with these people before. I know you like stories where you have like from places you're familiar with, so that's why I put the little places in. It's more than just places. I've... I'm almost certain I've talked to this man before. I'm sorry. I'm glad he didn't murder you. And like I said, I'm fairly certain everybody that I encountered that was an employee there was a foreign person. The two salesmen that called in were not. (laughs) Like Zeke was not. I don't remember the other one's name, but they definitely were not. So I think he had salesmen and stuff that were not. Daniel Daniel Richter was not the mechanic. So maybe a couple of the higher, like the office people were, but not as far as salesmen. There were definitely more foreigners there than Americans. Maybe they were born here. I'm not necessarily saying this bad thing either. No, there were a lot of heavy accents and other languages I've heard. You just don't know other languages. You need to learn more. (laughs) I live in America. I'm going to speak American, damn it. You don't do it that well. (laughs) Uh, I ain't gonna deny that. I wish I could speak Spanish as well as I used to. That'd be great, but anyway. 
I wish I was one of those people that knew like six languages. That would be amazing. But I do not, and I'm old. So it's hard to learn things when you're old. Yeah, you're not wrong. I guess we're getting into the rambling part at the end. Yep. Unless you have any more questions or comments. Um, no, no, no. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't blow your fingers off happy on Hanukkah, New Year's. Happy Hanukkah, Happy... Don't forget to get to kiss at midnight on New Year's. Um. Don't have too much fun. No drinking and driving. And finally, rate and review us. That too. And not on the rambling, on the storytelling. Yes, on the story. The pre-ramble and the post-ramble. That's just us. But the rate and reviews, we definitely like. Yeah, we don't rate them. the squirrels. Just rate us. <laughs> if you want to rate the squirrels, you can. Are they going to like the squirrels? Some of them might. These are... We actually do have a higher male listening percentage than most true crime podcasts. I blame you, which I'm happy for. But... You're welcome. I don't know that the lovely ladies are going to love your squirrels. You never know. People like what they like. This is true. There's somebody for everybody. That's why you love me. And that's why you love me. <laughs> All right. Hopefully, y'all have a great week. And like I said, sorry for the delay in contents. Life. Yeah. You know, as much as we would like to be, we are not full-time podcasters. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be great if we were, but we have actual stupid jobs that expects us to go there and stuff. So rude. Right? How dare they? Oh, I guess I'll hit y'all with the bye, y'all. Bye.